whether we're talking about business, wellness, travel, or relationships. I've always thought age is just a number. Welcome to Ageless with me, Cynthia Raleigh, and my daughter, Kit Keenan. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Ageless. So today we have Vanessa Hong on the podcast, who is an OG blogger, um, an Instagram aficionado, a plant-based queen, like literally a podcast host, everything you could imagine. She does it all. Um, So we are so honored to have Vanessa as a guest on Ageless today. Yay. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I actually found you through, this is so funny, but I've been following you for so long, but I found you because I remember I DM'd you like years ago and I was like, hi, I've had platinum blonde hair for four years now and I really need to like, I need to find (laughs) somebody who just does it like super crisp and clean. Um, and you responded, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe she responded to me. But um, you told me to go to Douglas, discolorist yeah. on Instagram. Oh, and Dougie's the I've best. I've been listening to him for forever. So that's how I found you, <laughs> um, the hair. Um, so maybe we could jump right in, and you could tell us about your blog and how you really just found – a passion for fashion to begin with. Okay, cool. Uh, I think the origin story. I think it's a, it's it's great that a mother and daughter duo are interviewing or having this conversation with me and asking me about my origin story because my um, passion and flair for fashion came from my mother. So my mom um, went to fashion school when she was younger. She was the artist in her family. And, you know, she grew up in a very traditional household in Hong Kong and was kind of doing all the things that they didn't want her to do. So, you know, she was into art and rock and roll and fashion was another one of those things. And growing up, you know, I idolized my mom. You know, I thought she was so cool. You know, she was always wearing um, clothes that other, you know, Asian moms wouldn't, wouldn't be wearing. And we always had fashion magazines in the house. So that was really where I think for me it started. And I think just, you know, like um, an inherent inborn desire to just like dress myself and use fashion as a way to express myself. My, my mom always tells people, you know, she's like, Vanessa started dressing herself when she was two. She yeah. would like tell me that I would like run into stores with my mom and I would like pull things up and you know, pull articles of clothing against, um, against my, my body and like, look at myself in the mirror and I guess mimic my mom and my mom's like, I don't know where she got this from, you know? And the (laughs) storekeepers were like, uh, it's you, you're a shopaholic. (laughs) (laughs) So cute. Um, well, I think that that's like even dressing at such an early age at two, three, whatever, it's like, it is the only form of self-expression a kid can have really, you know, or it's a, it's a great one that 
if your parents can let you just be yourself. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's important for anyone to pass on to their kids. Like, just let them, if they want to wear, you know, Kit wore a happy birthday tiara every day. And, you know, if that if that's what they want to do, let them do it. Yeah, totally. I remember one time, like my dad um, brought me shopping and there was this, this place. Um, I don't know if you, if you have them. I'm Canadian. So I don't know if you, this store is here in the U.S. for children, but it was called Please Mom. And it was Please Mom, but it was like M-U-M, like spelled like the British way. And the store was like, it was very like pragmatic children's clothing. It was kind of like Oshmagashi, like a lot of like overalls and like corduroy I remember my father brought me shopping and he wanted to like buy my sister and I a bunch of this like practical Oshmagosh corduroy clothing. And I wasn't even five yet. And I threw a tantrum. (laughs) I refused to wear, it was like this poopy brown color stuff. And I, I was so mad. I was so mad. And um, yeah, so my mom, my mom always loves to tell people that uh, this thing, this fashion thing that I do, it's not something that I acquired, that it was more so something I was born with. And that all being said, you know, like I, I always dreamed of, you know, going to Parsons or going to a fashion school, uh, once I graduated, but I grew up in Vancouver, Canada, you know, like it's very, it's a beautiful city. It's, um, bucolic, it's calm, but it's not a fashion epicenter. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And when I was growing up, I remember I would just consume fashion wherever I could find it. I would consume fashion file hosted by Tim Blanks. You know, he was like a mentor so far growing up. But you know, the crazy thing is we would get like these Galliano shows and like Okatour shows literally three seasons late because Canada, you know, like would have to get broadcasting rights and da, 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 da. So, I mean, Tommy Ton and I actually talk about this because Tommy's another Canadian and Tommy and I, during my recording with him, reminisced about how we would memorize the time that these fashion file episodes would come on. It would always come on during weird times on a channel called um, CBC uh, which was a news channel. And Tommy said he recorded them on VHS as a child. And I never went that far, but I remember I would always kind of like plant myself in front of the television and make sure that I would catch Tim Blanks. I had no idea who Tim Blanks was, you know, but I learned who Galliano was. I learned who Tom Ford was. I learned who Yoji was like all of, you know, kind of these luminaries of fashion, um, during a moment when fashion was like fashion and, uh, yeah, so that was, that was it. And then, and it's funny because I, um, I ended up, so I went to university, um, and, you know, cause my parents were like, we're not going to pay that money for you go to Parsons. Like you stay close, get, if you want a liberal arts education, get it here. And, I don't know, you know, it's just like when you're 17 and you have to make a decision of what you want to do with the rest of your life, like it was really stressful. And all of my friends were pre-med, you know, in, in uni and me being me, cause I always got really good grades in school as well. Um, I was like, okay, well, I'm not really sure what I want to do yet. Like maybe I want to go into business and maybe that's my way into fashion. Um, but then I didn't take the right elective. And I ended up 
getting a science degree. So I actually have a degree in biochemistry and genetics and it's just so random, like the randomness of people in fashion. But, uh, that, that taught me grit, you know, and it's really interesting how so many kind of facets of my life that seem super disconnected are actually all connected. And it was at my first job, actually, after getting my degree, because, you know, after you get a degree, um, a BSc in, in science, or sorry, a BSc in biochemistry and genetics, as I did, you either become a doctor or you get your PhD. There's, I mean, either a, a life of research or mm-hmm. you dedicate your, your life to, to um, medicine. And, you know, I was just on the path to one or the two, and I didn't know what to do. And my counselors were like, look, take a year off, get a real job, you know, in the real world and see how that is. And I got a job at biotech. And that is actually where I started the oatpursuit.com, which is um, the fashion blog. Yeah, it's just, I mean, I can totally relate. I just think that like, in the West, we have made college like going straight to college. Mm-hmm. such like a pressure filled situation and you really have to like make this huge life decision when you're 17 or 18 years old so I can totally relate I'm in my senior year of college and I'm still like oh my gosh like I don't know what I'm gonna do um but I'm figuring it out and I love I mean that's like part of the reason why I wanted to start this podcast was to interview people who are passionate about their work um, and find out their stories to get to where they are. So I love hearing about yours. Um, I know in this past year, you've had quite a transformation, I would say, or maybe it was building before that, but quite a transformation in the ways that you were thinking about fashion and the industry overall. So maybe you could talk about um, that kind of shift in mindset. Sure, sure. So I think, you know, this whole, the transition for me, it's been happening for a while. And, you know, honestly, I think for, I mean, I've been in the business for over just, I mean, about 10 years now. And I mean, for myself included, um, in the last five years, I have just felt um, there was just some sort of dissonance or disconnection between, you know, how I presented to the world and maybe my belief system. And I think, and this is, you know, not me alone. I also kind of explore this, this topic in my own podcast about how a lot of fashion people were just tired you know, like tired, um, emotionally, spiritually, um, but also creatively exhausted by the whole system of fashion. Well, that's what, I mean, that, this is a really interesting topic for me because I've, I've been dealing with that idea for a long, you know, basically my whole career. And it's ironic to me that there's such a monotony in the fashion world when really all we talk about is the new thing, the ne- the next new thing, and in a way, the the monotony sort of creates this like 
this necessity to conform to the system, yes. which 100%. then inhibits the creative process, mm-hmm. inherently inhibits the creative process. So, I mean, there's a lot. I'm, I know we can talk a lot about this subject, but I, right. I do think it's like, you know, when you talked about that in your Paris hotel room, I just thought, thank God somebody said this, you know, <laughs> like right. thank God someone that, that people, you know, look up to said this right. because it's just, you know, it's, it's easy to be intoxicated by the, um, you know, the glamour and the superficiality and, and, and all, you know, the spectacle of fashion, which is, you know, why we all want to do it, you know? Right. But then I think there's like a, there's sort of a lack of respect or for any kind of disruption or any kind of um, thoughtfulness, you know, for instance, with sustainability, like you, like you, are committed to. And, you know, I just think there's, there it's what's happening in fashion right now has been a long time coming. And I feel like you're, you being so outspoken about it is really great. It's really great for the industry. And we should all, um, you know, have a conversation about that. Yeah. I mean, Cynthia, you totally kind of encapsulated that it's, it's almost like they're, they're two counterbalancing forces, you know, like on one hand, it's like fashion um, is all about like creativity. It's all about um, the people, you know, it's all, it's for all of us who never felt like we fit in anywhere. And so we're all carving our space out, you know, for ourselves and we're expressing ourselves creatively yet. I mean, fashion, when you work within it, you know, it is, it's like some sludgy stuff you got to work through like constantly. <laughs> sweaty. Like, I would say so sweaty. Sweaty, sludgy, really sweaty. you know, I mean, all of it, it's like, you got to, all the things that, you know, you have to do, um, in the name of, of business, right? Like, look, I am, I'm here for women getting paid for being independent. Um, but we also have to understand, right? Like, I think we're, we talk a lot about, um, systemic issues, right? Fashion systemically has a huge, huge problem, right? With money and creativity, right? The two two of those things um, have been very hard. It's been very it's very hard for those two things to coexist, right? When I see friends of mine who are designers who have great ideas, but they're like, "Well, that that look, you know, no one's going to buy that look, so I can't put that look out there, right? Like I, I can only put it on the runway, or I can only do this." And okay, look at this past week, right, or the past month. How many designers, independent designers, have we seen who are barely scraping by, you know, who are creatively geniuses and they have their um, literal collections, they have their literal ideas, their concepts stolen from individuals or brands or platforms with a larger number. And, you know, 
I just had a, this happened to two friends of mine recently. And this has happened to me myself in the past when I had a women's wear line. And how can we as people in fashion not be defeated by that? How can we stay creative when the system that we work within is not enabling us to succeed? That is my, you know. It's, it's for me, it's all about control. You must control every aspect of the, from the creative process to the, to the, you know, putting it into your audience's hands, like control is the only way to protect yourself. And you can be an outsider. You could be, you know, I, I think that the, like, I think there's, there's always the creators and then the appreciators, you know, you need both and it's, you know, and, and the, the kind of conflict of art and commerce too, and you need both. And it's when those two things can come together where you're creating something original and authentic and your audience um, appreciates that and, and sees that, or you're creating something that is original and authentic and, it also has some commercial enough commercial aspect to it to be able to actually sell and totally. and it's a, it's a hard balance and i think it's really hard for a lot of designers because they become um like they get sucked into this like well i have to do something crazier and crazier and crazier or no one's going to notice me and or doing the same thing over and over do, again because, so that you can sell. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a really, you know, it's a really hard balance. And I guess I think, we'll, you know, what we've seen recently is like to be able to control that is really, you know, be able to control your own destiny. And I, I, I think like control, that's a really key word. And prior to all of this, right? Like we've all relied on, okay, so we have to do fashion week. We have to take meetings in person. We have to go to Paris. And you know, the number of brands that I've seen pivot, and I, I know everyone hates that word, but there's no other word that I can think of to describe, but you know, literally pivot on the spot and be like, okay, well actually like, let's do something cool with our own e-commerce. Like let us be autonomous and not rely on department stores to sell our clothes. Let's not rely on, you know, um, a press agency to connect us to influencers or to come up with marketing ideas. Because guess what? We're all stuck at home. And although, I mean, a lot of us have more responsibilities at home, especially, you know, if you're if you're a mother and whatnot. Um, but we have limited resources. And I, I honestly feel when you have limited resources and you're put in a corner, that is when like creative people creative. thrive. Like yeah. that's, for me, I am like, put me in a corner, tell me what I can't do and just watch this magic that's about to happen. Yeah. And I have to say everyone, look, fashion people in the industry, we are the hardest working people I swear to God, like I have never met harder working people in this industry. And I have friends who are doc. Well, maybe let's, let's not say doctors, but you know, like people who are in other traditional industries where they get a lot of clout and credit for what they do, but fashion people, I mean, innovation is in the DNA. 
Yeah. And constant, constant reinvention and constant. Uh-huh. That's really- why I love it. <laughs> yeah. But that's really hard. Like I think you, what you do is all the stuff that I think is the hardest part of this. And, and for me, it's like the origin of the, um, you know, the actual collection or whatever, like that's where I get my, that's what I think is exciting, you know, to have that idea, the kernel of an idea and a vision and being able to execute it and how can you execute it. And, you know, then what happens after that is to me, the like that, that's the other half of the magic is like when it comes into your hands and, you know, you put your vision on it and, and it's, you know, a well, whole different thing. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think that what we're, what we're touching on with the idea of like fashion kind of encouraging almost this sort of monotony and, you know, conf- like having to conform to us, like a business model that has been used for years and years and years. And I think that that same thing happens like with online personalities, influencers, whatever you want to call them, bloggers. And I'm sure this has happened to you, Vanessa, and you've experienced this in some way where it's like, you know what does well online. So you kind of get stuck in like wanting to do what performs well. And yet you took such a big risk posting that IGTV video. Um, And then also I think like in the past year, your feed has become so much more diversified. And maybe you can talk about how you kind of, you made the decision to really step out of like what this sort of creative process had been for you in the past and maybe gotten comfortable in that creative process and in the past you know few months year whatever you've completely like started to incorporate other parts of yourself into your online persona and maybe you could talk about the that food so we good. love it. Oh, oh my god I, I need to bring I need to bring all of I will drop off some goodies for everybody like next week because I'm yeah, we can get into it later, but I I'm base I basically have this like fashion food art project thing that I'm like working on. Oh and um so you two excited. will be my wonderful, beautiful guinea pigs. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. That's amazing. Wait, I'm interested in the art part of it, which I don't know if you want to talk about now, but because my husband, you know, has a gallery and art in the sense that, okay, so because my mom um, could never really fulfill her fashion dreams, you know, for my sister and I, my mom, she, my mom was not a tiger mom. Okay. Like, so my parents were very bohemian for Chinese um, parents, like super bohemian. And my mom, um, because she was a full-time working mom, instead of putting my sister and I in like, I don't know, homework school or chess club or whatever, you know, like, something to propel us to a good university. My mom put us in um, this kind of alt art school for children. And five days a week, my sister and I after school would spend like four or five hours um, at this place called Arts Umbrella in Vancouver, 
where I would learn how to dance, where I would learn how to paint, where I learned how to make movies, like, but the old fashioned way, oh where God. I learned how to make jewelry. I mean, they should not have had children that young, like soldering and whatnot, but I was making jewelry <laughs> when I was under 10. And um, I want to go there now. Yeah, that's Don't you want that right now. It is. It is really. It's so cute. That's like and all the fun things in life. Yes, and like yeah. paper mache, and like <laughs> it was. It was really great. So um, growing up, I mean, I didn't fully understand or articulate it, but you know, my mom was really trying to expose us right to culture um, and art has been something else that's, you know, something later on that I've been really trying to educate myself on. I'm like a self-educator. So when I'm like into something, I'm like, okay, I need to learn about this. And I think, you know, being on one of, you know, there is a lot of ubiquity and homogeneity on Instagram, but there are a lot of really cool people specifically here in New York. And I mean, really like in, in, in cities that have always been hubs for, for creativity, like Mexico City, um, Love. places. I know. I, I can't yeah. wait to, cool. to go there. But there's a lot of, like, um, home chefs that are using food as a medium to express their art. And it's really, really cool because none of these people went to culinary school and I see, um, you know, when I see a piece of furniture, I'm like, oh, you know, I want to recreate this vibe or this steez like in this dessert that I want to make. Do you know what I mean? Right. And because I'm entering from the periphery, right, because I didn't go to school for any of these things, I'm like able to kind of remix a lot of like, you know, maybe I see a painting or maybe I see a sculpture. I'm like, oh, that sculpture would be kind of cool if someone made that into a piece of bread or like, oh, that's I took, amazing. you know, or if I took like, um, if I'm making like these, these breads or these cakes of mine, I'm like, Oh, what if I like mix these colors together and do this? So there's, um, that's how, that's how I'm approaching it. It's going to be like this fashion art food thing. And also, really trying to, com- to create like community, you know, within all of these different spaces. Cause you know, I'm Cynthia and, and you get like working and being in fashion, you're exposed to a lot of different people. Yeah. So I'm, I'm not only friends with fashion people. I have friends who are artists. I have friends who are musicians. I have friends who are sculptors. I have friends who are ceramicists. And I think, um, a part of the creative process, right, is to constantly expand your awareness and to go into places and spaces that you're unfamiliar with. And that's, you know, how you get new inspiration. So that's kind of like a vague thing right now. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love it. I do think that's the thing. It's like, if you love fashion, Mm. it's not just this like bubble of, you know, this amazing closet with like, 800 pairs of shoes or whatever it's the way you see things like you're not going to have an amazing st- personal style and not be wanting to you and not translate that into mm. your home into like mm-hmm. the way you present a meal into um you know like even the the ways you choose to entertain yourself it's like mm-hmm. creativity if you love fashion 
it's most likely creativity runs throughout your whole life, mm-hmm. you know? And I think it's like, you're giving permission to people by doing this, you're giving permission to people to be able to mix that all up, you know, instead of just like fitting into this little uh, niche of, you know, whatever fashion has been or is supposed to be or whatever the, you know, all the, the fashion expectations are, you're giving people the freedom to just, you know, be creative in every part of their lives, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, it's just, I love it. And Kit, Kit, that's kind of like along the question, you know, you were asking me about kind of like this transition or my thoughts on, let's just, you know, look at the influencer universe, right? Like the influencer universe makes a ton of money because, there are a bunch of people doing the same thing, right? Like there is, and, and that's why they're called trendsetters. And, and that's why, you know, I kind of, it's, it's very, for me, I've always kind of been, I've always been allergic to anything that is very status quo. And when I started seeing, you know, the influencer and the blogging um, community, really move towards a place and towards a place of homogeneity. And I, and by mean community, I mean, those within, you know, those who are at the top, right. I'm not talking about like the cool, you know, like micro and nano influencers, like the people that are doing the cool shit. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people that most people recognize by face or by their handle. Mm -hmm. And, and the problem, right. With, with, um, with the ubiquity and the homogeneity is that people are rewarded for it. And then that causes like a trickle down effect to everyone that's like below the one millions, below the the hundreds of thousands. And that's when everyone starts wearing the same thing and doing the same thing, even with food. Do you know what I mean? Like I've been, I've actually been posting food for, for several years now. Right. And some of the things that I see people putting up now, I'm like, oh yeah, like I did that years ago. It's just like, well, everyone wants to um, put flowers like on their cookies. I mean, I do that too. I mean, I was um, inspired by an article in the New York Times. You know, that was my reference. Like this Tejal Ro, uh, this food writer, she did this article. Um, I'm not sure if you saw it, but it was like this viral uh, article. Mm-hmm. But then I think a lot of influencers saw that and they may have picked it up from other influencers, you know, like, right. so the, the rate and the velocity and the speed of how fast these trends are picked up, co-opted, but with zero reference um, is, is very interesting in the space. And, and for me, that's why I'm, constantly trying to educate myself and and kind of pivot out of whatever is is the status quo you know because I don't ever want to um I don't know I just I just don't want to contribute you know to something that is so mass already and also being you know um a Chinese woman, right? Like being a woman of color as well. I think it's really important for me um, having the platform that I have to express a different um, idea of what an Asian woman should be, you know, of what um, a woman in fashion should be interested in and, and this or that. 
And Cynthia, kind of going back to your point, right? Like who, who, like fashion is not a, fashion people is not some sort of like monolithic thing, right? Like people, that's a problem I think with with a lot of um, what's happening in our culture is that everyone thinks everything's a, a monolith, right? A woman is a monolith, fashion is a monolith, like Chinese people are monolithic, right? Like the idea of the Chinese community and the thing is, we're multi-varied humans, right? Like, there's so much to us. And I think the problem of um, showing a very, I don't know, sterile kind of version of what that may, I don't know, again, it's just like, it kind of like goes back into that whole thing of ubiquity. And I get it, you know, like, and, and I'm not judging anybody. It's just not like, it's not the path for me. It's like, you want to get paid. You want to go do that. Sure. That's do you. But during, I mean, especially during this lockdown for me, and I'm like, yo, like if you are not honest with who you want to be and how you want to express yourself, like why are you even doing this? Right. And I think a lot of it for me is the curiosity. I'm like, Oh wow. Like I found this super cool, you know, designer in London. And then I follow her and I, and then I end up finding a bunch of different people. And then, you know, my style changes because I'm like, okay, well I was this kind of way during this time, but now I'm like in this utilitarian mode. And I think, um, you know, when you are an influencer, you do get kind of trapped into these tropes of like, people are like, Oh, like you're all about, um, you know, you're super minimal, this and that. And it's like, right. But then, you know, like minimal minimalism, the idea of minimalism is also have been co-opted now. Like my place or source of minimalism comes from a place of, you know, studying Buddhism and me being like completely manic in my brain. So I don't need my manic in my living room. So that's why, you know, like I have the space as it is. And yeah, I think, um, I think it's interesting because people love to define you, you know, people oh my God. love to define who you are, your because style. It and then, it easy for them. It makes it easy, yes. easier to say. And they, and they get mad at you. But it's you, also, like, yeah. oh my gosh. If I, if I can just like sum you up in this one little, you know, phrase, then yeah. my, my work is done and I can do something else now. But it's like, no, that's not, you, you, you can't just, put me, you know, into this like cliche, uh, yeah. description of, you know, what you think it's just like so much easier for people to just be like, Oh, this is this and be either dismissive or just like make that statement or whatever, right. you know, you d- and but then it just is up to all of us to just keep surprising people. I love a good surprise. Yeah. Like <laughs> I always say, I want to be the one that's like hiding in the bushes that jumps out and is like, surprise, I'm doing wetsuits or, you know, yeah. like I just, yeah. I just think you have to constantly try to keep people on their toes. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's and hard. It's hard, but you know, and honestly, like I, I love, um, one of my like the qualities that I love most in in other people is curiosity. Yeah. And I think when you look at, you know, in general, you know, the the whole influencer kingdom, there's no curiosity there, you know? There's just clickbait for me. Mm-hmm. And 
I mean, I know what does well. Yeah. Like, so that I pepper my posts with fashion, you know, like with outfits and whatnot, but I'm okay with not posting an outfit pick. Like I used to do one like every single day. I used to be so on top of it. I used to count my numbers. Like this was maybe like four years ago. And it literally like drove me to having like a mental breakdown, you know? Um, I mean, there should be therapists that just specialize in influencer <laughs> neuroses <Yeah>. because um, the <laughs> thing- That's genius. Yeah, surprise. Look, Don't you have a therapy so- <laughs> company? <laughs> Look, like if I, if there are people that are going to listen to this and they want, you know, like an agent or something, let me be your agent. You know, I will be your client. I will be your agent. I will be your manager. I will find you clients. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, like it's, and, and, you know, I, I truly, I have great compassion for, for all the girls and all the boys and for anyone who's in, you know, the influencer sphere, because There's a lot of pressure, you know what I mean? And if you have a weak spirit and weak mind, or if you're just susceptible, right, to to what the outside world may kind of throw at you, it's really, really hard, you know, to hold on to yourself, to hold on to your identity. And when you lose that, um, it's like you just you know, you lose yourself, right? And you start performing. And then I think like, that's what, I mean, a lot of things created that like Paris video, but I realized, I think like at that point, when I had that breakdown, I was like, wow, like, um, has all of this been performance? Has any of this been me? Like, who am I? You know, like who... Mm who am I in this industry? Like is, and then like the broader existential was, was any of this real? Like, was I here for any of this? Did I actually experience any of this? Like, do I like any of this? Do I know what I like? And yeah. Also a lot of, sometimes it's like you, the, the drive to be able to prove that you can do something sort of, mm. you know, it like it sort of uh, blurs any of those like, um, you know, uh, doubts and reflections. Yeah. And mm. then once you achieve a certain, you know, once you achieve the kind of success that you've achieved, then it's it's like that is the time to reflect and say, OK, now I need to you know, do something else or, mm-hmm. or evolve in a way. But it's, it's interesting how I think, and I think a, a lot of people are doing this where it's just really mm-hmm. like this, like drive to just be bigger, better, faster. Well, we live know, in a whatever. capitalist society. So that's yeah. just like drilled into us. But, but it, you really need to take that time to reflect. Yeah. Yes. I mean, a hundred percent. I think it's so interesting though. I mean, it's really like what we're, we, we're getting, you, you have been evolving into this other, um, creative for a while. And, you know, I feel like I've been fighting all these, uh, norms in the fashion world for a long time too. And it's just interesting that we're able to have this talk and Kit, you know, kind of like forging her own 
path now, you know, and it's just interesting that we're able to have this talk now during a pandemic when it seems like all the rules can be broken. Mm -hmm. And that's what we, you know, let's do it. Yeah. And have to be broken, honestly, in order to like survive for many people, I think are being forced into a situation. I mean, even you as a business owner, like you've been forced to rethink the whole model and be like, okay, retail stores aren't open anymore. Well, like now they are, but (laughs) for months they weren't. Yeah. And you had to be like, okay, let me really dive into e-com and like make it like the biggest priority ever, which you were before. But I'm just saying like, I think a lot of people, especially business owners and entrepreneurs have had to have either had to or have had the time to reflect on their business model during this time. Well, also, I think I think a big difference is that a lot of fashion is ego driven, right? And, you know, I have a vision, I have something to say, I believe in this or that. And you put it out there. And, you know, Sometimes people like it, sometimes they don't, you know, and that's and but that always seemed like the bigger initiative in the fashion world. And now it's really like I'm I'm going to listen to what people are telling me. I'm going to listen to all my data and analytics, but still be, you know, as original and new and fresh and creative. But like really having to pivot and be like, okay, this is not about runway shows anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll, I'll try to do some something to tell a story, to, you know, continue my storytelling. But it's not about those uh, spectacles anymore, or at least for now. And, you know, it's more about listening to what people are telling you and then being true to yourself. So that's what I have learned, I guess. I I mean, I think there's also so much like we haven't um, even discussed, right? Like all the protests that have been happening yeah. all over the world, like on a social justice, on a racial justice level, um, you know, for, for myself, like when I attended these protests um, and hearing stories um, just around me, right, of of people of all ages, of all backgrounds. Um, It was just so heartbreaking, you know, but also extremely galvanizing. And I think if you're a person of color right now in this moment, right, um, in America, it is really a time of reckoning. And I mean, I've had a series of emotional breakdowns and we've seen the upheaval, right? Like right across the board, like look at Bon Appetit, like surprise, surprise, right? Editor in chief, you know, um, who has diluted the works of POC writers and chefs for many years is being called out. Like this is the, these are like editor in chiefs, people who are CEOs, like CMOs in no other time, right? Um, would all of these things uh, have happened like all in such rapid succession and really like with the lockdown, um, with what happened with George Floyd, all the resulting protests, 
um, all of that, it all was the perfect storm for this moment that we're all in right now. And I think um, as much as, uh, as fashion has its place, I think a lot of people are like, well, what else are you bringing to the table? Yeah. Right. Before it was like, look, I've got this innovative design. I've got this super cool fabric, mm-hmm. but it's like, but now people are peeling behind um, more of the layers being, well, who works at the company? Who, what does the designer stand for? You know, like why, if I am financially strapped right now, why are you going to get my money? And I think, you know, I was talking to, I've talked to friends about this in the industry. It's like suddenly the consumer really has the power now, right? And it's just like, if the consumer is smart enough and enraged enough by um, the inequity, by the injustice that is rampant in the industry, they're not going to send, they're not going to give you your dollars, right? Like they're not going to give someone they do not trust or who fundamentally does not share um, the same ethos as them. And I see a lot of fashion brands that are, you know, doing really cool things right um, in this moment because they're like, you know what? Like I want, um, I want to be, I want to put, you know, stick my neck out there and I want to politically express myself. I want to stand for something. And I think um, for a lot of people, I mean, one common thing is just like, oh, like fashion, like why, why are we talking about politics and fashion? Stay in your own lane. And it's like, if you look at the history of fashion, fashion has always been political, Right. Like yeah. from the very beginning of time, if you look, I mean, even if you study the um, the Black Panthers movement, right, like if you look um, at the way they dressed and like the idea behind that, like they were using fashion, right, mm-hmm. as an expression, as a tool for the movement. And I think people forget that, right? Yeah. And I think it's also like very i mean even in that example like people were wearing certain outfits that signified mao and like that whole there there has always been a connection between clothing yes. and the realm of politics but i think that fashion fashion and clothing are often very separate because of like the mystification of the fashion industry um that often separates the actual garment and this is how people are able to companies are able to hide labor practices because the garment itself is so mystified and so like just brought up to this whole other level that the actual work behind the garment and the politics of the garment are so hidden and, and removed from that object. And I think in addition to demystified, it's just been completely 100% dehumanized, right? Mm-hmm. Who do you think made that garment? You think that garment just, you know, spontaneously came into being? No, it's like that fabric came from somewhere, that thread came from somewhere, that dye came from somewhere. Where, where does that come from? Who put all of that together? Who made the machines that put that together, right? Who's the person that helped you um, prior to COVID at the store, right? To put that garment on you, who's in the store styling it on mannequins, right? Like it is, 
the, the, the whole human aspect is missing from it too. And, and people see, and this is the problem with, with a lot of mass fashion is that it's transactional, right? Like people, um, everyone somehow is wearing Bottega now, which, I mean, I have no idea. I'm like, how much budget do you have to be wearing a $20,000 outfit? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and fashion has just, um, I don't know, for me, it's just like that, that sense of, um, it being special, you know, that, that sense of it being unique, um, of not being, uh, humdrum like some sort of everyday thing has been taken away from it and I think that's why people have like 20 t-shirts instead of just one or two nowadays mm -hmm. and um hopefully in this moment that we're in right now I mean that we really do come out of this better you know I'm, I'm really trying to stay optimistic during this time um one thing yeah that one thing that I feel like has made a major step forward is uh, appropriation in fashion mm. because I mean, so much of fashion for 50 years or whatever was about appropriating other cultures. And I feel like that's just really has stopped. Thank God. You know, I really feel like people are realizing like, Oh, I'm appropriating this cultural i mean it still obviously happens and people are always getting like called out for so it but better. i do think that hopefully this moment is making people in power at least question those things before blatantly stealing yeah an idea cultural references yeah yeah um i mean all of this is like just making me want to create an existential crisis IGTV too. <laughs> um, but maybe we could talk about um, one question that we ask a lot of our guests on Ageless is what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, and maybe you could give us your thoughts on that. Okay. So I actually thought of this when I was in bed last night, I was like, gosh, what do I do? want to be when I grow up? That's a big question. Yeah. Um, I think, okay, so I'm going to answer this in a really kind of like, like a, a roundabout kind of way. Mm -hmm. I think that question usually has the person um, who's being asked that to think of a destination or an end goal and my mindset on this has changed um, maybe, yeah, in, in the last 10 years or whatnot, um, in the sense that I no longer um, I no longer think along those terms because I think I used to set goals like that for myself or ideas, and I would get there and I would be like, "Wait, this is not what I want anymore." So I think like, gosh, on a broader scale. I mean, my very first response in my head was that I just want to be free. Like, I want to be free to create. I want to be free to um, be who I am, whoever that will be and is and whoever I'm becoming. And to be, um, not to be happy, but to be in a place of joy wherever I am at that point in my life to find joy 
um, in everything that I do. And I'm, I'm that is a little choked same. up right now. Same. I'm literally crying. Yeah. Uh, cause I, you know, like in this moment, right. Especially during COVID, um, with everything that's happened, you know, I always tell people, I don't know if I'm going to wake up tomorrow, right? This idea that we're going to live forever is, that's a man-made idea. And if I'm not living my life and doing the things that I want to do today, and that doesn't mean like, oh, I got to go do big things. But if I'm not, you know, talking to my sister, or if I'm not telling some stranger on the street that she looks so good, even though I don't know her, but I want to tell her that because I'm, you know, I'm like, girl, you look really good today. (laughs) Then, yeah, then it's just like, then again, like I'm being inhibited in some way, right? Like I don't ever want to be inhibited um, to not be myself and, and not to um, live in joy as, uh, as 24 seven as I can, you know, in all the bright and in all the dark moments. And I think that's, yeah, I guess that's a very kind of existential big way of answering that question. I, I, I think it's so interesting because you really, you, it's how you answer it, mm-hmm. not what your answer yeah. is. It's, we can, but now we can never ask that question ever again. Thanks, Vanessa. <laughs> <laughs> Best answer. Um, well, yeah, just tell our listeners where they can find you and follow along with everything you have going on in the future. Okay. So, um, I know I talked a lot of smack about Instagram. So of course, naturally, I mean, like, come find me on Instagram. (laughs) Come find me on this platform that I talk smack about for an hour. Uh, but no, really you can find me on Instagram and I'm just at Vanessa Hong and you can send me a DM. I read all my messages and I read all my comments. And if you have any hair questions, you can send that my way. Or My podcast right now is on a bit of a pause, but we are kind of gearing up to get new guests on. And that um, is just simply Vanessa wants to know. And my food idea, we're just waiting for an LLC. So we're waiting for some legal stuff to come through. So I can't say it yet. Um, but it's going to be, it's going to be a New York based, um, food service situation. Yes. I'm so excited. All right. So I'm so happy that you guys got to listen to our stories today. As always, you can follow us on social media and keep up with our work and our crazy adventures. Then you can follow us on Instagram at Cynthia Rowley and at Kit Keenan. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 